0: everyone. Welcome to the beauty and behavior podcast. I'm your host, Diane Sorensen, mother, grandmother, former teacher, and currently supporting parents who want to understand their children's behavior at a deeper level. This is where we talk about changing our perception and limiting beliefs around behavior to a more conscious approach to understanding ourselves, each other, and our most vulnerable population, our children. I share my self-discovery journey and what I've learned along the way and what I'm currently discovering as I continue evolving on this journey. My hope is that as we become more conscious of how we show up for ourselves, our children, and others, that we'll discover the beauty that lies within us all. So I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today I have an interview, and I haven't done an interview for a while, so this is a treat. Um, I have Dr. Cohen back uh, here. Which Dr. Cohen, you were here, what? Maybe in December? Uh huh. Yeah, I think it was December, yeah, and we had a wonderful conversation. Um, I just loved it, and even going back and listening to it later, it's like I had, you know, picked out all these things, you know, that you said your are your, you're you're gold. Your goal, oh Dr. Cohen. So thank you for coming back. Oh, um, thank
1: you for having me. I'm so happy to be with your audience. It was so much fun last time.
0: Yeah. So just in case, um, those of you out there that did not hear that um podcast, or just as a reminder, I'm gonna read Dr. Cohen's um bio so you kind of are reminded or know um about about Dr. Cohn. So Dr. Cohn is a clinical psychologist and she's the CEO and founder of the online divorce course and membership Afterglow, the light on the other side of divorce. Dr. Cohn is the CEO of the Center for CBI in New York City. And Dr. Cohn's online course teaches women how to heal, grow and thrive after divorce, no matter how difficult the process has been. Dr. Cohn received her PhD in clinical psychology from Boston University, and she was the recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundational Research Award for her research on the emotional effects of 9-11. Wow. She has been featured on the um, Tamarin Hall Show, The Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Women's Health, HuffPost, Thrive Global, Daily Beast, and Good Housekeeping. Dr. Cohn's a weekly contributor to Psychology Today with her Divorce Doctor column. Dr. Cohen hosts the Divorce Doctor podcast where she interviews people about, about their divorce experience. And Dr. Cohen's book, based on her Afterglow program entitled Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You, will be published in April. Yay! (laughs) So we'll definitely talk about that today. Um, I'm really excited for that. You know, I I listened to your podcast and, you know, there are days when I listen to it and, like, what, like one day I was on a walk and I was listening to it and like the first sentence <laughs> I was, I just had this big aha and I actually turned it off and thought about that the rest of my walk. It's like, wow. <laughs> really? I'm so glad. You never know. There's, there's so many ahas out there and I just, I have so many of them with your work. Um, mm. with and I, you know, and I think we talked about this on the last Podcast that you know the work that I do with parents and children. There's so much of it correlates with what you do. Um, so yeah, so I kind of like to talk today about co-parenting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get a lot of questions on co-parenting and what if you know my partner isn't on or what if well what if my partner but even what if um, My child's parent, who I'm co-parenting with, um, isn't on board with the same style of uh, discipline or parenting practices that I'm doing. Um, How do I deal with that?
1: Yeah. um, First of all, this is why I love being on your podcast, Diane, because you do hear information and take it in and synthesize it and have aha moments. So that's why it's so great to share with you because you really integrate it so beautifully. So I'm so happy to be able to share this time with you. Um, I get that question all the time too. I mean, I think that the biggest challenge of co-parenting, I want to just like say it straight out Is that to do it well, you have to do one of the hardest things for parents in general, which is to let go of control. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean,
0: we can all others, only ourselves.
1: Exactly. And 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 we do such and I I've been guilty of this too, you know, we do such a, a gymnastics, you know, feat of trying to find a subtle way, you know, to say, Hey, the kids might do better if they go to bed a little earlier. I mean, you know how many texts I sent like that, you know, they never went to bed any earlier at their, at their dads, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to sit with the discomfort of letting go of the control that it it is really, really hard. And I want to say you know, this is not in the circumstances where you think your child might be in danger, um, but I have to say, there's not a lot of circumstances where the danger is that high. I think it's really important to talk about. Um, perceived danger versus actual danger. So mm-hmm. I share a story in my book about um, when my kids, when my kids first started spending time with their dad, it was after two years of an absence due to his alcoholism. And, you know, we had supervised visits at first where they, you know, meet at Barnes and Noble with a social worker. And it really like incrementally got bigger and bigger. And when, once he could demonstrate his sobriety and his safety. And when they were going to have their first overnight, I was a mess. And I kept having this recurring dream about, we live in New York City, about them falling into the subway and when he was drunk, like not paying attention to them. And, you know, I said to a, a mentor of mine, you know, I keep having this. And she said this very ironic thing, but I now teach this of, I want you to, instead of Sitting with the fear, I want you to lean into that fear. I want you to really, really feel the depth of the fear because the depth of your fear is yours. Yeah. Like, you know, he had gone through um all the things the court had wanted. You know, he had really graduated to being able to be with them. It was me who was holding on to this fear. And so I had to do a lot of work and people could argue, you know oh my gosh, you know, you let him, them go with him. I mean, he was sober when he showed up. There's only so much that I can control. Um, and what I, what I say also to parents in the, my circumstance too is don't underestimate how you are raising your kids. And I know Diane, you talk about this a lot in your work, which is if you're doing conscious parenting, then you are emboldening and empowering your kids to say when something isn't right. So I had, I really had the faith that if something went wrong, they would tell me or tell their dad or tell another trusted adult, because I was raising them to feel like adults listen to them. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of pieces here. There's the releasing the control and knowing that you cannot control another person. And I can guarantee if you try to control your ex-partner, they're probably just going to put their feet deeper in the mud, just like a kid, right? Just like what you, right.
0: Right. Um, Yeah.
1: Right. Like people don't like to be controlled. Um, and then they try to prove you wrong. And so not bringing it up at all is way better. Getting some help and soothing your own fears, your own worries, your own discomfort, that's where to go. And I know, I just want to say it's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah.
0: Owning your own fear, owning the fear. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just, I love that so much. Um, because, you know, we do the same with kids. We try to control the kids and what happens? We get resistance, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, it gives off that energy of, well, you're not good enough. So you need to do it different. You need to change, right? Yes. And our Kids get that message in our, um, are who are co-parenting gets that message and yeah and then they dig their heels in you know and I think we kind of got that message too um growing up so you know there's this huge like I'm not good enough syndrome yes <laughs> and I think we are so fearful of screwing up our kids because that will prove then we're not good enough you know yes. um so yes. yeah, just owning that fear. And I talk to parents like this about this a lot, owning that fear and really digging down to the core of that fear where it's that not good enough stuff yeah. um, and disproving that limiting belief that really keeps us stuck.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, Diane. And I think that what happens, especially if you're the one who initiated the divorce, I think you have this pressure to have co-parenting go really perfectly, or let me say this differently, replicate, like if you had stayed together and you have to understand that these kids are getting an amazing opportunity of being with two parents who are not arguing, who are happier where they are, who can be fully who they are. And that might mean they are different rules, but I always say to people, you know, your your kids are not going to have you as a teacher, as a boss, as a roommate, they need to get inoculated. To different kinds of personalities and different kinds of experiences. And so the more you try to control it, so it looks exactly like
0: it does in your home, the less they're learning. Right. Yeah. To be flexible with all different kinds of scenarios and issues and things that come up. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we want kids to have some, face some uh problem scenarios when they're young yes. right so that when when the problems are uh, relatively small or smaller anyway so that when as they get older they le- have learned how to become flexible and learn that you know how to problem solve because when we try to control everything the whole time they're growing up going okay now what do i do because yeah. they can- you know, somebody's been there to fix it or whatever.
1: Exactly. I was interviewed for an article uh, recently where I hadn't heard this phrase. Maybe you have uh, that the snowplow parent, it's different than the helicopter parent. It's snowplow parent is one who, which is what I think I was guilty of, you know, kind of pushes all the obstacles like a snowplow out of the way. So the Uh kid has a perfect, um, you know, alley to go and street to go down as opposed yeah. to having to fall a little bit. And I think that's really important. I mean, you want your kids to feel generally safe, but problem solving and having difficult conversations with either parent is really a gift and is training for when they are spend most of their life, not in your house.
0: Right, right. yeah, yeah. That avoidance, that that making everything Uh, you know, kind of rescuing, making, avoiding issues so that things go smoothly. Because I think too, we're so uncomfortable with the emotion that comes with, um, you know, say, you know, holding boundaries even, or or, um, having our children um, face consequences that Mm kind of come from you know, whatever their choices were. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a such a lack of tolerance for discomfort. As a cognitive behavioral therapist, I mean, I talk about this all the time. People come to me with anxiety. And essentially the treatment is how do you how do I help you tolerate more discomfort? And I think a lot of parents when they're going through co-parenting think that the job is to make the kids feel the discomfort of the divorce less. I, I think it's really how to learn to live within the discomfort of the divorce.
0: Yeah. I love, I love the way you worded that. La- a lack of tolerance for discomfort. Yes. Yes. And yeah. Cause so in conscious parenting too, and what I'm teaching is the same thing is kind of becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. Yes. And I have to learn that too. And I know <laughs> I didn't like being, uncomfortable. I ran from that all of the time until I realized that was kind of keeping me stuck. Um, I had yeah. to lean into the discomfort and that built resilience. You know, every time you go through it, you're building resilience. And we kind of get stuck in this um, mind pattern too, where it's like, okay, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to lean into this discomfort. I got to the other side. Wow. That felt really empowering. Um, but then we're kind of, in this mindset where we're home free, you know, yeah. and, and, right. get and then it's like, oh, I thought I was through this. Exactly. I, my journey is that there's always another layer, right? There's always a different always. layer. And, and it is that resiliency. Every time you go through it, you begin to tolerate it more. Because- yeah. And what if you thought about
1: conflict or discomfort or struggles as a growth opportunity. Yeah, exactly, right? And if that was an opportunity for you to grow, for your kid to grow, as opposed to something we need to squash out. You know, I think especially with social media, I mean we were we were already a world where people didn't share vulnerability and especially with these kind of fake, you know, pictures of people that everything is good. It's like where is the discomfort? Like many, many people, a lot of the time are in discomfort because that's life. That's what being human is, but we don't talk about it. We don't share it. And so we think there's something wrong with us if we're, we're not comfortable. I mean, if your kids aren't confused between two different homes, like that's really a problem, actually, psychologically, like (laughs) there should be some discomfort
0: that makes sense. Um, Right. right? Yeah. So, that's really interesting because here's my experience. So, and you're right, you're, I think we, we have kind of been conditioned, or I was anyway, Mm -hmm. um, to have an image, look, look one way, um, when life really was different, uh, you know, it didn't matter who you were, just, just, there's such a fear of what other people are thinking, right? Um, and so when I had children, I did the same, I, I created this whole image, um, where it looked like, oh, we were just great. Life was perfect. Um, and it caused a lot of, um, inner conflict with, um, my kids and, and one of my children specifically, because she talked to me about it later when she was an adult, she said, you know, I was so confused as a kid because people Mm -hmm. were telling us, oh, um, you know, you have such a perfect family, da, 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 da. You have this, you have that. And she's like, I I knew that couldn't be right. You know, because behind closed doors, we were struggling, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, and that's
0: how I came to what I do now that it was the thing I needed to learn the most. And so as I started studying it and implementing it in my life and knowing how powerful, how, how much it changed my life in the trajectory of my life and my children's life, um, I just knew that I needed to get the word out to other people. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, uh, I think that causes a lot of conflict with kids when you're trying to put on this image rather than just being authentic.
1: Right. And what are you teaching them? I mean, really, I know because I work with a lot of people in their twenties in my private practice and they get really stuck when life gets hard, when you're in your quarter life time transition. And they say, I I don't know why this is so hard for me. I have never had anything really difficult happen to me. And I say, well, you just answered the question. Like you have no
0: practice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. So we're we're protecting our kids from having to feel, you know, having to work through uncomfortable emotions or face difficult Exactly Owls. and that
1: right, right. and I, I've always felt my you know I got divorced and my kids when they started seeing their dad again they were two and four and I really think that they had to learn emotional skills and emotional resilience um, at such a young age that I am so grateful for. I see the difference between them and some of their friends whose parents do what's more traditional, um, which is you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Take care. You know, they don't kind of get into the grit with them. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that's so great about the the what you teach is that it increases the connection with between parents and children, but also it increases the likelihood that they're going to call you out on stuff. Like they're really present and they're really on it. And that's, you want that, you know, again, I think a lot of parents, um, feel like, you know, the old saying of kids should be seen and not heard. Like mm-hmm. if you raise, if you're raising kids consciously, they're going to need and deserve to be heard.
0: Right. Right. And so I think we're in a really, um, a time where parents are learning something new you know, uh, beyond the traditional, we're, we're coming to find out, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. Yes. (laughs) So, so parents are learning how to feel emotions and how to do it differently as they're teaching their children. So I think we're in a Mm. really, um, I don't know the can't think of the word um original time right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I'm so
1: glad you brought that up Diane because it's also making me think of how hard it is, you know, for parents and especially for co-parents because you're you're healing maybe from the grief and the loss you're working on understanding emotions yourself and the truth is when you're conscious parenting like the kids get it faster than us because we've been marinating in the messages that we shouldn't be emotional for way longer than they they do you know they just learn things very quickly and so it can be really intense for parents in general and especially if you're getting a divorce to allow your kids to have their full emotions so i understand why you would walk away from that I understand why discomfort would be would feel uncomfortable to you during a divorce because you're kind of swimming in so much discomfort but that's where you know programs like mine and my book come in which is I want people to get the healing and the support that they need from professionals so that they can heal themselves so they can really help their kids grow and then be empowered during this time, but you should never have to do anything by yourself.
0: Right. Right. And I think that's another, um, uh, one of our old traditional beliefs is that we should be able to do it by yourself. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so sad, right?
1: I mean, we were really, I mean, we were, meant to be in community. We were meant right. to have generations around us. I mean, I remember thinking that being, you know, isolated in a New York city apartment building, um, you know, just how much there was supposed to be aunties and grandparents. And I was definitely not supposed to be doing it myself. And anyone who's raised, I you know as a single parent for a while knows that biological need for other people. And so if you find yourself struggling with co-parenting, um, just know that you're not alone and that you deserve the support. Like before we get into what's going on with the kids, let's figure out how we can support you because that will free up your ability to connect and really help your kids in the way that they need.
0: Yeah. Cause it always, it always comes back to us, right? It starts with us. And again, traditionally, I always go back to the, to the contrast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're we're taught that you put yourself last, right? Yes. Give, 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 and you know, and then we give till we're depleted, and no, that doesn't help anybody. So yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm glad you brought that up to to you know put ourselves first, to take care of ourselves, and asking for help actually is strength, not weakness.
1: Yes, I mean I say this all the time. You know, if I had to wake up tomorrow and suddenly file my taxes, like I would be screwed because I'm not a CPA. You know, right. I don't file my taxes. Someone else is trained for that. Like if you're struggling with anything, Diane, you're trained in conscious parenting. I'm trained in helping people through the divorce. Like there, there are people who, who are here to guide you and support you. You don't have to do anything like that on your own.
0: Right. And just as somebody might come to me for guidance with parenting, I might go to them for guidance with whatever it is, their strength is a great point. Yeah, Yeah. Great point. So um, circling back to co-parenting is yeah. isn't behavior um, relationships specific to? So you know, your relationship with your child doesn't necessarily going to suffer just because your, their parent your, your ex-partner is um, showing up in their relationship differently mm-hmm. than you are. Yeah.
1: So I talk in the book also about, you know, this feeling that a lot of parents have when one parent is when when you're maybe when your child is not with the other parent is not with you and is with the other parent and feeling like there's going to be some negative impact. And here's the thing there is. I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before. There is a biological in your DNA system to keep you and your child connected and it's called the attachment system and your attachment to your child is biologically ingrained. So it doesn't stop when your child with your, their other parent, it doesn't stop when your teenager slams the door in your face and says, go away. It doesn't stop when they're at sleepaway camp. It you're always connected and they will Always know uniquely what you bring. So I talk to parents all the time where one parent is more emotionally aware than the other. One is more emotionally in tune than the other. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know how else to say that. Like, it, as long as you have one parent who's emotionally in tune, they will notice um, that the other parent is not. And so very often part, if you were with a partner who you took you a while to realize they weren't emotionally in tune, you worry the kids won't ever see it, or the kids will think that that's normal. But if they have you, they know what an emotionally in tune parent looks like. So they will be able to say, wow, it actually feels really different When mom says something to me, then when dad does, when dad says it, I feel like he's really listening. I feel like he's really taking it to heart. And I feel like he asked me about it. Mom, she just seems to pick up her phone and she doesn't care. Like because of the contrast, they're going to know which one feels better. And I just want to say for most of the people in my practice, I say this to them, you know, if you had stayed together, you wouldn't be able probably to show fully who you are Mm-hmm. and they wouldn't be been able to show fully who they are. You would have been trying to make them be more emotionally available. You would have been doing a lot of gymnastics. I would have been doing that too so that the kids would have been more confused. Like it's very mm-hmm. clear and clarity
0: is very very good for kids. Yes. Yes. Claire. yeah. Clarity feels safe, right?
1: Yes. Yes, yeah. predictability and clarity, right? It feels really safe for the nervous system. Yeah.
0: So, can you talk a little bit about? I know in your book you talk about righteous anger and how to process anger. Um, I talk to parents a lot of times about anger, you know, either with anger with the children or a lot of times it's with them. They're just like, I I don't know how to control this anger or, you know, where this anger is coming from. So can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So the reason I have, I titled this chapter righteous anger is because I think it's really important to acknowledge that you have the right and it's important to feel anger. You know, our brains activate for emotions all in the same way with no valence. So joy, surprise, excitement, have the same neural firings as sadness, jealousy, rage. Mm -hmm. Um, We're the ones who have decided to give it um, any sort of valence or any sort of judgment. And so I really want to start with the fact that anger is, is simply a feeling. Um, you wouldn't say, "Hey, why don't you quiet down? You're acting too joyful." You know, it's
0: <laughs> right. Like, Although I think we do sometimes go. Sometimes people say, "A little too, too much. excitement," you know, just settle down. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think sometimes even we, we Any, try to suppress. Yeah, anything too
1: much. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, right? Like anything that's and so if you've gone through a divorce, which we know both of us from our experience and all the people we work with, usually it's been a long runway of struggle with a with a partner you're gonna have a lot of reasons to be angry. And I I know that pushing down anger, pretending you're okay for the sake of the kids or pretending you're okay to just move on, that just pushes the anger down and it eventually comes out sideways. Whether you have road rage, whether you snap at your kids, whether you snap at your boss, whether you can't get out of bed, like it will come out, I promise you. Mm -hmm. So I am here to say, Why don't we work with it rather than pushing it down? And there's a beautiful roomy poem. You probably know it called The Guest House where they talk about um, inviting all feelings to come to the table. I actually Mm -hmm. have this exercise in my book where, and I've done this for myself and for my daughter, where you take paper plates and you write down all the feelings you have and you sit at a table and you have anchors sit next to you and sadness is next to you, and you're all at the table with all of the emotions, joy, and you really kind of sit there and visualize. This is what make makes all these emotions make up me, and so you start having a different relationship with that, mm-hmm. and so you kind of think about inviting it in, and then I encourage people to, you know, to really move anger through your body, not just through your mind. So we have the natural fight. Flight or freeze response. And anger is a fight response, especially when something again went with righteous anger and someone did us wrong. You know, um, in my case, I first enrolled in a kickboxing class and really was able to move my body in a way that released such frustration and anger. And then I started listening to really intense angry music and moving my body in my own house. And It felt so amazing to allow the response to move through my body. And I knew that I wasn't going to act on this anger, that it was just something my body needed to release. And so I do that every time I'm angry, I get a song on for me, it's rage against the machine and I let it let loose in my, you know, privacy of my own home.
0: Yeah. I love that because I think that's so right that we... We kind of move it through our mind or we try to change our thoughts to, you know, change the how our body is feeling. But right, yeah. it's like letting a kid, yeah.
1: you know, it's like we letting a kid through. Yeah. Like letting the kid just move that emotion through. You can't right. talk. I mean, you wouldn't talk on a, a person who's angry out of being angry. So why right. are you going to do that
0: with yourself? Right. Yeah. Now that's such a good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Tell us a little more about the book and yeah. when it's coming out. And yeah, it's so exciting. Yeah.
1: So um, I wrote this book because when I got divorced, I was sitting in my bed after having put the kids to bed. I don't know if I'd taken a shower and I had food all over me. You know, my kids were so little. And I opened my laptop and I typed in, you know, divorce recovery program, and there was nothing there. And I didn't realize till later, but there being nothing there sent me the message that I wasn't going to recover. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I'm trained in the way that I am, I knew I could put something together. So I pieced together all of these um, components to a healing program so that other people Could move through and heal without the kind of, you know, kind of white knuckling I had to do to piece it together. I wanted a comprehensive program for people to be able to heal, because I believe when you heal your trauma of divorce, you're going to change the world. Look at you, Diane, right? Like once you release that trauma, you just do what you're meant to do. You change the world, you heal. And I wrote it for the mom who, like me, you know, schlepped her kids to the local library, you know, reading hour and might see my book out of the corner of her eye and see a book entitled light at the other side of divorce. And it might just give her hope.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, I know when I experienced divorce, I remember saying to some, one of the first things I'd said to somebody was, I feel like somebody died, but nobody died. So, mm-hmm. but it's like the same feeling inside your body. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's so much guilt that is associated with divorce, kind of like, you know, there's so much, parenting guilt. You know, we have a lot of guilt. Yeah.
1: So much shame. I mean, there's so much stigma around divorce. I mean, I think even people have commented like the title of my book, the light at the other side of divorce, you know, that people are just shocked by that because, you know, we really think in our culture that divorce is a failure and divorce means something is broken. And I, and my book, I'm here to say, no, there's another chapter. This is stepping into graduate school for relationships or for your life. Like we're we're moving through an amazing phase where you're going to grow tremendously if you yeah. take the time.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I really had to heal was, I think, you know, when, when you're in the situ- situation, yeah, don't really see it, yeah. you know, it's just your normal life. Um, And then, you know, so like for my, with my experience, I wasn't the one that initiated the divorce, Mm -hmm. but afterwards looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, why was I living that way? Yeah. Right. And keeping my children there. Now I can see the dysfunction of it, but I had a lot of guilt that why would I just, why would I live that way? And why would I not want to get out? Yeah. I'm so
1: glad that you bring that up because I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, This either way that I should have left sooner, or I should have tried longer, like all the shoulds just shitting on yourselves all the time. And I talk in the first chapter um, because I don't think you can start healing until you really look at your assumptions about divorce, that we really need to shift how we look at this, that we, if we were to look at divorce as my relationship provided exactly what I needed at the time and it's come to its perfect closure. Mm -hmm. And we did, you know, then you could think, okay, I did that piece of work and now it's time for some other work as opposed to why did I stay? Why didn't I go? Right. So it's how we see it as this, you know, beneath the, like, why did I, you know, there were things that you got out of the relationship besides just your amazing children that, right. that were, that worked for you. Right. Um, right. And that's why you stayed. And yeah. that's why it was ready to be over when it was ready to be over.
0: Yeah. 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 And I realized too that, um, and I think this is very prevalent in our society today that, you know, I just didn't have healthy boundaries. In fact, yeah, I don't really had any boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, and you know, that played into all of my relationships, you know, my yeah. relationship with my ex-husband, my relationship with my children. Um, and you know, I see that as a pattern with parents I work with now that um the lack of boundaries is a real um barrier to having that real healthy relationship.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a real, a big part of my book, I have a chapter called life by design, not by default is really starting to build some boundaries with yourself. You know, Um, a colleague of mine said that when she got divorced, someone said like, you know, my kid, like with the real Elizabeth, please stand up. Like, who am I? Like, who am I? What do I want? And really starting with what are my boundaries? What's okay for me? What am I comfortable with? What do I like? What do I like to order? What color? of the wall. Do I want to paint, you know, all of these things that you might not have even known. And I like to always use the word curious, like it's such a curious time rather than a judgmental time, um, Mm -hmm. where you're really starting to learn again, you could shame yourself for, Oh my God, I didn't even, I had no voice in that marriage. Like I had no, no space, or you could think, wow, what do I want to do now that I have a voice? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a, it's a shift. Um, from, I think, um, from the other person to you, because as we started our conversation, you can't change anyone besides yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And isn't it true that we have to kind of, we have to have our own personal boundaries and be able to hold people accountable to that before we can really have boundaries with our children or, you know, other people. um, For sure. How to hope on. Yeah. So I think that's this whole, you know, I don't we never have really I mean we're not formerly taught this is how you set boundaries, right? And so many of us really didn't have a model for healthy boundaries. Yeah. Um, it's funny,
1: I think it's really important. Um there's a great book called How to Set How Boundaries Will Set You How Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free by Nancy Levin. And so Yes, this, I have yeah, that one. Yeah, that's a great it. book, yes. right? And yes. I love what she says in that about you know, you do have some boundaries, like you lock your door at night, like that's a boundary, right? Like we, it's important to realize, right? That we have physical boundaries sometimes, but not emotional boundaries. And that was really revelatory for me because it helped me feel like, oh, okay, I really do set some boundaries. So I can do a few more. So, we do have personal boundaries. It's just our emotional boundaries. They become so fluid, but they should be the same as locking our door. Like what is our
0: personal? I lock the door at night. Right. <laughs> Boundary. Right. Yeah. And so just the, the word boundaries, I think, I think we get confused um, yes. a lot of times on what are boundaries, what are consequences and what, you know, I think we tend to, put those two together, like I get the question a lot, well, what consequences is right for this boundary? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, so we're almost like threatening our kids to stay within our boundary. And, you know, yeah, I love to
1: think about boundaries. And that's what that's that her book talks about really being your personal boundary that once you know what your personal boundary is, it's and that means if you can state it with a personal consequence, then you can do that. And right. so just to know that, you know. I want to, you know, have time every morning to do yoga. That's my, that's my personal boundary, which means I then, and I talk about this in the book, how can I design my life so my personal boundaries get valued?
0: Yeah, right, great, right. Because boundaries are self-care, really, right? Yes. And I don't think we think about it like that. I think we think no. about it as something we're doing to somebody else. Exactly.
1: Exactly. As if it's an outward movement, but it's really a deep protection and an honoring of our heart and our mind and our soul, really. Right, right. Oh.
0: So is there anything else you would like to tell us about the book? Mm. Um
1: I will, well, I will just say that if people pre-order the available book is available for pre-order and if you pre-order it, then you get enrolled in these three free, um, workshops that I'm doing. If you order them I, on my website, which is drelizabethcohen.com backslash book, that's drelizabethcohen.com. And there's one on co-parenting. There's one on finding love again after divorce, and there's one on living in the afterglow. So, um, I would say that would be really great for people and yeah. check the book out. And, you know, I, and also I want to say about the podcast that it has been really powerful how many people you share the aha moment have been touched by other people's stories. We talked mm-hmm. earlier about not feeling alone and hearing other people's stories are so powerful powerful. And they have little tidbits that you never, as you said, like you never know you needed to hear. So I want to encourage people to get that
0: resource too. Yeah. Yes. Go and listen to the podcast. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Pre-order the book and get into these three free workshops. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the book is coming out when? Doctor. April 20th. April 20th. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, I just love our conversations.
1: Me too. I love it. We could talk forever. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Beauty and Behavior podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I'm so very grateful for all of you who are showing up here with me because I believe subtle shifts create big impact. How we show up in our life in our relationships, or our parenting impact our life, our children's lives, and the world. If you're ready to brave the wilderness of your beautiful soul, live life from the inside out, and create the life you want to live, head over to my website at diane.sorensen.net and get on my calendar to see if the Beauty and Behavior family is the right fit for you. I got you, and we'll talk again soon.